Yes, I am neither Prentice or Richard. My name is Brad. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Yesterday morning, I was sitting with my 15-month-old Judah on my lap. We were watching the golf tournament, uh, which it trained up a child in the way he should go. And so I was teaching him all about, you know, swings and things. And um, I get a call from Kendi, which was concerning because in my mind, Kendi was on vacation. And it's a Saturday. And Kendi doesn't usually call people on Saturdays. And so I knew something was up, so I answered the phone. I didn't do it which is a possibility with me because I usually do something wrong. Um, and so she said, I'm not uh, asking you if you did it. I'm asking you to do something. <laughs> oh, that's totally different. Uh, Richard is sick. He has this flu crud going around. So in a moment, we'll be praying for him. Uh, but he was pretty bad yesterday. Uh, Donna was texting instead of him. And usually he's pretty quick on his thumbs. So something was up. So uh, before we get going, we'll, we'll say a prayer. We'll pray for him that he continues healing and probably many people being affected by this stuff going around. So would you pray with me and then we'll get started on peacemaking. Should be an appropriate topic for today's culture. Father, we thank you uh, that we can come here. Uh, we thank you that we can open your scriptures and learn from your spirit and, and look at Jesus. And Lord, this morning we ask that you would give us ears. We ask that we would be aware of your spirit that is already present in this room. Uh, we ask that we would be uh, humble enough to follow its lead. And Lord, we pray for Richard this morning as he's sick. Uh, we pray that uh, you would heal him. Uh, there's a lot of snow for him to ski, and I know it's killing him, and he misses being here as well. Um, and so, Lord, we pray that you would heal him, as well as those who are affected all around us in our homes and in our communities that have been bitten by this sickness, Lord. We pray for healing. We give you this morning, and in Jesus' name, amen. I grew up, many of you know this, a son of a contractor. My dad built houses, he built buildings, office buildings, and he built churches. Uh, so I grew up in this kind of construction house. As soon as I knew how to walk, dad handed me a broom and said, get sweeping. Uh, and so my son walks, he has a broom now. I'm just trying to you know, keep the thing in line. Uh, I grew up around construction and for a while there, when I was getting my, uh, my degree, I would work in my dad's office and I would do the scheduling for his subcontractors. And so I learned a lot about construction processes. I myself am terrible at construction. I cause more trouble around the job than any, anything. Uh, if I walk on the job, something's getting broken, something's getting hurt. Um, I'm ruining the process, and it's probably all going to happen at one time in one fail swoop. Uh, I'm just not very good at doing the things. But when it came to scheduling, I can see how to do this, and Dad would show me how to do it. And, and I knew that it's probably best not to schedule the finished carpentry at the same time as you schedule the foundation, right? <laughs> Because then this guy shows up with all of the trim and everything, and there's just a big hole in the ground, and he's like, why am I here? Uh, it's probably very good that you don't schedule uh, the drywall before you schedule the electrician, because then the drywall has to come off, and the drywall person is very upset. And so there's this process that you see to building buildings. We saw next door here for the past six or eight months. We saw that there was a big, well, there was a building there before, and then it got torn down, which was fun to watch. And then there was a big hole in the ground for a few weeks, and then it was full, and then it gradually started going and going, and all of a sudden, they're in there today. And it's just been this process. As we look at the Beatitudes, we see there's eight of, eight of them. 
And we look at those and we see that there is a process to those as well. The first four that we come to, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. The first four, you can say, provide a foundation. They're providing a foundation for the following four. If the first four show us anything, they show us what God has done towards us how he has reached out to us in our lowest of lows when we were poor in spirit, when we were absolutely the furthest away that we can ever be from God. He reaches us there and says, yours is the kingdom. The word blessed can also say, God is with you. And then then we look at the next one. God is with you when you're mourning, when everything seems to be going wrong, God is with you there. And then there's the extra promise, and you'll be comforted. And when you're meek, when you feel that the world is just pouncing you and trouncing you and because everything that's getting ahead and you feel like you're just stuck, God meets you there and guess what? Yours is the earth. And then in the emptiness of our hunger and thirst, when we see the world around us and we see the lack of righteousness and we want righteousness, God comes and says, I'm with you in your hunger and thirst for things to be made right, and you will be filled. So in the first four, we see a foundation of God reaching for us. The second four are us in our relation to others. You see this? Because once you realize how far you were away from God in your poverty and your depravity, once you realize that, once you realize how God met you in the lowest point of your life when you were mourning, Once you realize that even in your meekness, God still gave you something, and even in your emptiness, God says, I'll fill you. In those places, when we realize how far we were, we realize what God did for us, it becomes very, very, very difficult. Not impossible, because we still have this thing sin in us. It becomes very difficult for us to treat people differently than what we have been treated. And so we see blessed are the merciful because you're merciful when you realize how much mercy you have received. Blessed are the pure in heart because now that you've seen how God works towards you, your motives on how you work towards others change. And then today we see blessed are the peacemakers Blessed are those who see that the world around us is broken and shoved into two sides and we're forced to pick one. And then God says, blessed are the peacemakers, the ones who walk in and say, it's not that way, it's not that way. In the words of Richard, it's probably a third way. And so today we're going to look at the foundation of our buildings We're going to look at the framing, the walls that go up, the walls that we create, and then finally the things that everyone sees around us. We're going to look at the exterior, the siding, the roof, the finished carpentry, what people see around us. In your notes, it might be a little different. Uh, We study together. We are not carbon copies of each other. So there might be a little different trajectory in your notes, but it's all going to be there. So if you get confused, just hold on. I'm probably confused too. So... We'll get there. The first thing we start with is our foundation. And like I said, the Beatitudes, the first four, make a foundation for who we are. God has done for us, allow us to build and work towards others in the same way. We are brought into God's family. Some would say that we've been adopted, though some would be Paul. We are called a child 
of God. Blessed are the peacemakers for why they are the children of God. We have been brought into this family. Paul goes into great, enormous detail about what this adoption means in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter one. We'll get to it in a second. Don't put it up there yet. It'll be behind me when we get there. But let me set the scene of what Paul is talking about. In Ephesus, there was a great influence of Hellenistic culture. In Hellenistic culture, that's the Greek culture. I learned this in world history. Uh, That's the Greek culture. That's about all I learned. There was this glorification of the perfect. They wanted the best in everything, but one of the most things that they wanted the perfection with was with the human body. They glorified it, they worshiped it, they loved it, and it shows in their sculptures, it shows in their philosophy, and it shows in the athletics. The Olympics was a worship of the athletic ability of the human body. When the, uh, when the Olympics were first started, every event was done in the nude so they can worship what, God, what their gods had created in the human flesh, and they worshiped it. This was their primary focus of perfection. Now it created a little bit of a difficulty because anything that did not meet the ideal, anything that did not meet their perfection Their idea of what was perfect would be discarded. So they would have these things called circuses. Long before Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey, they would have these things called circuses where if there was a person that had a a malformation or, or a dysfunction or something that wasn't considered perfect and right for that culture, they would be put on display in the circus. And people would go and laugh at it, or be disturbed by it. Now in Ephesus, there, it went a little further. One of the most heartbreaking practices that came out of this that we can read about is this thing that they did with their children that would come out uh, disformed or in some way considered wrong. If a baby was born and the parents were not pleased with what they had, be it the wrong gender or or a disability in some way or even unwanted, they had a legal precedence to go out and do what was called exposing the baby. And it's heartbreaking to read about in in the history books, but it happened. If they didn't want the child, they would take it up, and we know where the hill is where they would take it outside of Ephesus, and they would leave the baby out there, and it would give them legal dissolvement that they wouldn't be held responsible if the baby died. There's a letter that was written from a Greek soldier who was out in Alexandria, and he wrote back to his spouse and said, if the baby is of this gender, go ahead and expose it. We'll try again. And it's heartbreaking to read about all of these people who were not wanted and they were exposed. And then even more heartbreaking was what would happen after that. If the baby were to be exposed, you as another person had all the rights you wanted to go up and collect those children, which is great because now they don't die, right? But they were collected to fill brothels and they were collected for slavery. It was easier to raise a slave than to buy one. 
And so you had this practice happening in Ephesus. So Paul is writing this passage, this wonderful passage in Ephesians 1, where he goes into wonderful flowery language, and he uses this word adoption, which in that culture would have triggered a bunch of alarms because the people in that room were adopted into families because they probably were picked up from the hillside. So you had master sitting next to slave. You had somebody who had brought their brothel worker to church that one day, which seems weird, but they, uh, that, that person would be there, but they brought them into church that day, and they're hearing this language from Paul about how God has adopted them. Listen to what Paul says. It's going to be on the screen. With that background in mind, Paul's writing this. Praise be to God to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us and adopted us as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. The first seven chap verses of Ephesians is one run big run-along sentence in the original language. Paul is worshiping here. We hear that word predestined, we automatically think Paul's a Calvinist. Calvin wasn't around for 1,500 years, so we can put that one on pause. Paul, uh, Paul we'll talk about that 1,500 years from now. It'll be great. But Paul here is worshiping. He's saying of the great steps that Jesus took to bring us into his family. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Adoption in that culture, when you would adopt something, in that culture you were only interested in adopting sons. The, sorry, ladies, it just wasn't there yet. Now we adopt both, thankfully. But, and so Paul is talking, he's not dismissing the other half of the, the world's population. He's talking something very culturally here. He says, Jesus adopts us into, by, by his pleasure and will. In Roman adoption, the process that they had to go through was public. It was of the father's choosing. The child had a choice whether or not to be adopted or not. There had to be a public witness. If you were adopted, all of your former debts that you had accrued as a slave or in any other place, those were absolved and forgiven. You were given a new name. You were given a new identity. You were given a new status. You were given a new family. You were given a new responsibility. You had a brand new reset on your life. You were given a clean slate. Then the kicker was this. Once you were adopted, there was nothing that you could ever do to be disowned. You were, you were stuck. And it was a good thing. It, we have record of fathers and mothers disowning their biological children. But you can never disown someone you've adopted. So Paul is very intentional in using this adoption language to these people in Ephesus to set their foundation of who exactly they are in Christ. Paul tells us this story that we, basically saying in the culture and the context, we were discarded and put up on that hill. And then Jesus comes running up that hill because he's happy to do it and picks us up and takes us in. When the world said that we weren't good enough, that we were malformed, that we were disabled and we couldn't fit in. 
and sets us aside, Jesus comes, picks us up, brings us into his family and says, you're mine. He gives us a new identity. He gives us a new name. He cancels all of the wrong stuff that we've done, the debts that we've accrued as, as when we were before him. And he says, you're mine. And guess what? I'm stuck with you. You're stuck with me. And I'll never disown you. If that doesn't say amen at 8.39 in the morning, I don't know what will. <laughs> because that's who you are foundationally. Jesus comes up the hill and says, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. Come with me, you're a part of my family, and you will never be disowned. You're adopted here, and I love you. It's out of love that he does this. Many of us have this world built around this idea that God is angry and ticked off all the time. That's the wrong foundation. We were picked out of love out of a God who comes to get you instead of a God that's like, yeah, I guess. No, he comes to pick just you. That's the foundation in which you stand. And it's out of that foundation where everything else comes upon it. Because if you treat people as if you were hated by your God, you're not going to treat them in a loving way. You're going to somehow find a disdain to treat other people. Well, they're not as good as I am. We start playing the comparison method. We start playing that game. We start judging because we think we're judged instead of loving because we have been loved. Do you see your foundation? It is stable. It is trustworthy. It is loving. This is the base of where you stand. And from this, we get our walls and we get our framing. Because after the foundation is laid, we start to build walls. We start to put the, the electricity in the walls. We start to do plumbing. And it all is centered on how good the foundation is. If the foundation is solid, you will have good, strong walls. But if the foundation is weak, you have a weak building that will just get blown over in the next storm. So we have a solid foundation of love, of who, what Christ did for us. Our framing grows from that foundation. When we see how God relates to us, how he goes up that mountain for us to get us, when we see that, we are compelled to treat others in the same way. Paul continues in his uh, worshipful talk in Ephesians 2. We read this a little bit already. Nancy read it for us, but let's do it again now that we know a little bit about the backstory. Here's what Paul's saying. Therefore, because of who you are, whenever you find a therefore, find out what it's there for. There, therefore, because of this, because of who you are and how Christ picked you up, remember that you are formerly Gentiles by birth called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Circumcision would be the Jewish people. The uncircumcised would be the non-Jewish people, which is done by the body, by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside the flesh, the law, 
with its commands and its regulations. His purpose was to create, create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in the body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. There's a wall that, that Paul is talking about. And there's a lot of wall talk in the news today. This is a different type of wall. This was a wall that existed in the temple. It was called the wall of Sorag. It was a wall that literally divided the courts. It said if you were Jewish, you were allowed to go beyond this wall. But every 10 or so, 15 yards, whatever it was, there was a sign, and it's the precursor to beware of the dog. It said if you are not Jewish and you pass this wall, we can't guarantee that you'll survive. So there was this wall that was built that, and that kept people out. Paul says it was a man-made decree, and it separated Jew from Gentile. In other words, this wall that Paul is talking about wasn't God's idea. It was a wall that was built in order to separate people. It was to keep those out of God's sanctuary. And this sort of wall of separation doesn't belong in God's temple. Because it doesn't match the foundation. If our foundation is love, then why would a wall that exists that is built on the opposite of love stand in our building? We make it sense? Are you tracking? The opposite, love, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. And so there was this wall built out of fear that those would, they would come in and contaminate what was on the other side of that wall. This was a wall that was not peaceful. It didn't match the love that God had for all those in existence. It didn't match. And so Paul says it had to go. First uh, John 4.18 says this, perfect love drives out fear. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. So the opposite of love is fear. Love is shown by trust. Fear is what you have when you have a lack of trust. Fear is what causes us to keep people at bay. Love tells us to invite them in. Fear is the urge within us that we can't talk to the person because what they might say might offend us. Love confronts us in a way that we can be better and actually go across and talk to this person that we might not agree with. We're called to be peacemakers. If our foundation is love, it becomes vital that we act in love to the people who we might want to divide ourselves against. The dividing wall that Paul talks about isn't made in love. It keeps people out. It divides. It builds barriers. What happens is when we have this gospel, announcements in the, it, this gospel announcement in the Beatitudes that says how much God has loved you, it doesn't make sense that we build a wall and says he loves us, but not them. And this is what Paul is getting at. We see the way these walls work in our society it's too bad we can't look in the newspaper and see this stuff all around us. So we have to dig a little bit to how this might fit in our real world. At least I do. We see this in the way our television ratings work. When one party is elected into the office, uh, this could happen 16 years ago, it can happen eight years ago, it can happen a month ago. When one party is elected into office, 
the news ratings or the TV ratings of another, of, of another TV network skyrocket while the other networks plummet because we play this us versus them type of game. Why? Because we are told there are two sides. Because if it's this, then we are against that automatically. And if it's they who take over, we're against them. Both sides listen to their own network, and that's all we listen to. And it makes the chasm between the two grow further and further and further and further. And all of a sudden, all you're listening to is your own voice in your own echo chamber because we've refused to have the love for the person who stands on the other side of the network. Now, there's nothing wrong with having opinions. There's nothing wrong with having what you think what policy should be. I'm not saying that there's, right, that there's no right and there's no such thing as wrong. I'm talking about the relationships that exist in between those. What happens in our world is the same thing that happened in the wall of that temple. It's the question that we all face when we talk to somebody. Are you with me, with us, or are you with them? Are you with us group of Christians who think this way about these things and those people? Or are you with those, we can't even see them because we've separated ourselves so far away from them, those people over there? And what this world endlessly does is gives us two options. And what we have done in that is taken the opposite of love, fear, and place those fears on them and built a wall that doesn't match our foundation of love and what Christ has done for us. And Paul names that wall hostility. And can you agree with me that we see that a lot? And when we think about the kingdom of God, can you see the kingdom of God? No, because right now, even in our churches, all I see is a lot of hostility. Life groups or gathering groups, small groups, whatever we call them in our context groups, separated because we disagree. And there's hostility. There's hostility between churches based on race and ethnicity. There's hostility in churches based on small, little theology issues. And what we've done is consecrate this wall between us that is nothing but hostility between the people in faith, and it has no place in our gatherings. It has no place in our congregations. This wall doesn't match our foundation of love. It's built of straw. It's not solid. And we label people by it. We segregate people. And we don't want to work with those people. And that belongs nowhere in the kingdom. And Paul says that when Christ comes, he's taken that wall and utterly obliterated it. It's gone. It doesn't belong in our building. It doesn't belong in our church. It doesn't belong in our hearts. It takes that labeling system that we've used to limit and says there's no longer us versus them. We can't label people like that because when your foundation is built in love, all of the sudden, when you act on that foundation, you have met some of those people and you actually kind of like them. You find out that you might agree on more things than you thought you would agree on. 
When we allow our fears to be met by the perfect love of God that casts out fears, we'll be able to realize that we're no longer against as many people as, the, as we used to be against. We begin to embrace people. Why? Because God embraced us, therefore we embrace others. And then we step into this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be the children of God. Our foundation is love. Our framing is grace and our exterior that people see, the roof, the siding, the, the doorknobs, the doors, the windows, that stuff is peace. If you have your Bibles and you're following along in Matthew 5, scroll down with me or if you have your app, flip, whatever you're doing. Matthew 5:43 might be up here. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You have heard it said, take sides, label people, left, right, liberal, conservative, them or them, right? Jesus says, love them all. Love your enemies. Jesus basically telling us this, that if you find yourself across the aisle from somebody, move towards them. Our job is to move towards the other people and then find peace. And pray for those who persecute you. Don't pray like this, God, please change their mind. God, I pray that you would cause, you don't pray harm on them. It says pray for those. We're used to praying for people that they would change their minds so we could win, right? Yes, we like to win. Jesus says something else, pray for them. By praying for them, you're wishing God's best upon them. It's a different type of prayer. You move towards them so that you can be the presence of Christ in their lives for them, wishing God's best on them. And here's why. Matthew 5, 45, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's an agricultural setting that Jesus is talking to. Rain causes crops to grow. That's a good thing. He sends both on the righteous and the unrighteous. Our God, what we'll see in Scripture, is an ocean of compassion. And when God says good things to everybody, wherever they are, good, bad, or unrighteous, because God is like that. He's constantly reaching out for them. So when we, instead of pushing people away onto other teams and causing more division, when we start to do that, we are not acting as God has acted towards us. It doesn't fit our foundation. When we've been met by God in our light and in our dark, in our bad and in our good, when we've been met by God with all of our backgrounds, however murky or crystal clear they are, it causes and compels us to embrace those people who might be different than we are. And in then we embody what it means to be the children of God. And we look like our father does because we carry his likeness and we resemble the way he is. We live in this hyper-combative culture, us versus them, and what we do is we automatically assume God is with us and he is not with those people. In the uh, book of Joshua, chapter five, we don't have time to read it all, but there's the story right before Joshua goes in to take uh, Jericho. He's out doing his morning walk and he comes across this warrior 
And Joshua draws his sword and the warrior's sword is already drawn. And Joshua goes, whose side are you on? And the warrior goes, I'm on God's army. Uh, Take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. Basically what that soldier was saying, this angel is saying, you want me to pick sides? I'm on neither side. I'm on God's side. And those people down there in Jericho are God's people too. We have this nature between us that we want sides to be taken and we blame God on our side and we don't blame God on their side. We assign God's sides. But what the scriptures tell us is there's no room for the us versus them mentality. We don't have room for that in our building. Are you with us or are you with them? And God says, I'm with you all. You're all my kids. I'd go up the hill for every single one of you and grab you and bring you back. I'm with you. And that's our challenge as we live in our world today. If our foundations, our lives are built on the fact that God loves us and God isn't angry with us, then we need to be able that God to realize that God feels the same about those people that might have voted against us. We need to feel the same about those people who think differently than us. Those people who cheer for different sports teams than we cheer for. Please. (laughs) That we no longer have an excuse to cause divides between us. And if we come to them in fear and in hate, and we say we come in God's name, then we are being really confusing as what our God looks like. Because our God doesn't act in fear and, that, and hate because that is the opposite of who he is. Perfect love casts out fear and our God is not like that. Our foundation is love. Our framing is grace. You can still have your opinions. You can still disagree. The foundation of those is still in love. It means you can disagree, but you're still friends. You still are built on the common foundation. You still have to share a building with the person. So you find the good in them. And then when we do that, we will be able to step into peacemaking a whole lot easier. Because it's no longer us versus them. It is now us. And so this week... You're going to walk into situations, maybe it's your water cooler, maybe it's the copy room, maybe it's in a meeting where you're going to be said, so-and-so said this, what do you think? And you're going to be forced to take sides. You're going to walk into a conversation, it's going to be about politics, but that's all we talk about. Can we go back to talking about fun dogs doing things on YouTube, please? But it's all we seem to be talking about. You're going to walk into a situation and go, can you believe so-and-so? Can you believe so-and-so? And And you're going to be forced to take sides. Doesn't mean you can't have opinions. But when we start to demonize the other at the expense of our Savior, we step into shaky ground and we step off of our, our foundation. Our God is a God of love and compassion that goes up and picks us all up off the mountain and says, you all belong to me. It's our choosing to follow him and belong to that too. So our challenge 
is exactly what our motto has been out here in the foyer for the last how many decades? In all things, charity. Treat each other as if they're your actual brother and you get along with them. With love, with compassion, as you have seen Christ deal and treat you when you were at the furthest point of your life from him, he reached out and picked you up. That's how we treat the other, whether they look differently than us, act differently than us, smell differently than us, eat different foods than us, whatever we use to divide needs to go away. Those walls don't belong. And when we do that, our exterior will look like grace and it will be inviting to those people to come in and meet our Savior. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what it should be acting like. This is a challenge to us to be called peacemakers. And you don't have to be good at construction to do it. You were given these cards in your bulletins. I can see it. We talked about peacemaking today. Maybe you write down on here what you see in someone that you disagree with that God sees. I can see the kingdom of God in somebody I disagree with. It will be challenging, but try. And then if you are comfortable after service, there's these baskets out here. Come drop it in and we'll put it on the wall so that we can start to build this common vision of what the kingdom of God looks like. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you move towards us first. You came up that hill and you picked us up and the foundation of our existence, the foundation of our identity is not based in fear because you're angry, but it's based in love. Because you want us on with you. And Lord, out of that love, we have the foundation. God, may you challenge us to stop building the walls between our brothers and our sisters. May we start to see the commonalities between us. May we start to see that you love them just as much as you love us. And out of that love, may we move towards them without fear. And Lord, may they be attracted to your grace. Your grace that reaches even us, all of us, in our lowest of lows, in our points where we were furthest from you. Your grace still meets us there. Your grace finds us and redeems us and adopts us into your family. God, we thank you for that. And may we take steps of peace between us all and be called your children. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.